Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning. Normally at the beginning of the message, you'll see me standing in front of our congregation and uh, I indeed do that but I forgot to put my headset on for the first couple of minutes so I thought instead of you watching a minute and me looking like this I'm going to tell you what I said Uh, I began because I think it's important for you to know and that part of my day-to-day routine is to set a time aside to spend with God every morning and I don't do this out of religious compulsion I, I do this out of a desire and the need um, to know God, uh, to hear from Him, and to learn from Him, because I am in—I am a work in progress, and I know that. Last week we talked about how uh, inviting in Jesus means that we are we are growing His in the character of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, and in the passion for mission that Jesus had. And I can see where I've grown in those areas, but I'm also keenly aware of how much more room there is for me. Um, to continue to become and have the attitude of Christ and the character of Christ and the passion for his mission. And so I choose to abide um, every day and especially in the morning, set aside the time, concentrated time where I can do that because I've learned, I've watched people base their life on what they thought was right. I've seen the danger of people who follow their opinions. And I'm always aware of what the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, There's a way that people think is right, but it only leads to death. I don't want to base my life on what I think is right. I need to know what God says is right. I want to follow his direction and his way. So that means me coming before him and listening and hearing. And I'm saying all this because uh, the other week I was going through some challenges and um, we've all know what that's like. And I saw this message titled by one of the great sermonizers of our day, uh, a message was spoke about how we as Christians go through dark times. And th- this this man's name is Tim Keller. And I'm, unfortunately for us, he died this past year. But what a scholar and what a communicator. Glenda and I got to see him once in, I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, speak in person. It was just a, a great experience for us. Well, what Keller shared in this message really helped me. And so I thought if this was helpful for me and Maybe I would pass this on to you as well, and you would find help from this uh, this word. And so I need to tell you up front, I'm, I'm leaning a lot on his message. I'm borrowing a lot from Tim Keller. I want to tell you that so because I'd be misleading you uh, if you thought, well, these are all Mark's brilliant insights. Brilliant insights. It's not. Um, a lot of it comes from what Tim Keller shared. And it's, it's looking at Psalm 88. So if you need to pause the video for a second, look, go to your Bibles. Find Psalm 88, and we're going to look at this together and go through this journey of, of and Thanksgiving Sunday. And there's a reason why I'm doing this, to connect uh, with God in the dark, challenging times of our life. But recently, I was, in this morning time, I sat beside, I, I was feeling like I need to hear from God and, and just going through some uh, challenges. And I came across this message um, by one of the most brilliant sermonizers of our day, his name is Tim Keller, who unfortunately, well, unfortunately for us, died this past year. Glenda and I once got to hear him speak in Atlanta in person. It was a, it was a real thrill. 
But he's not only, he's a scholar. And not only is he a scholar, but he's able to communicate uh, the word of God. And, and when, he, when he spoke from this message that I was listening to, it really helped me. And I thought, well, I would love to pass this on to you today. You know, do you ever have something you receive that's very helpful and you want to pass it on to help someone else? And so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, lean heavily into this uh, message today uh, and borrow much from his teaching. I want to tell you that because I'd be misleading you if I told you this, these are all my thoughts. Um, I'm not that brilliant as he is. But I'm going to share some wisdom and insight from God's word and some of his thoughts. And we're going to look at Psalm 88 today. So I want you to get your Bibles because we're going to be reading from our Bibles in Psalm 88 this Thanksgiving Sunday. And while Tim Keller's message was not a Thanksgiving message, a Thanksgiving holiday message, I'm going to attempt at the very end to swing it that way, uh, to focus on Thanksgiving. Because when we read Psalm 88 together here in a moment, you're going to be asking yourself, how in the world does this connect to Thanksgiving? But I promise you, if you hold on, I think we'll see how it does in the end, so just be patient in the journey. Because Psalm 88 is not one of those feel-good psalms we like to hear, that we want to be inspired by. And In fact, I'm going to be taking you into the dark valley. And you're going to be going, I don't like it here, this is a dark valley. But hold on, because we'll be coming out on the other side of it as well, to where there's a mountain. So Psalm 88 talks to how Christians, what, how Christians go through hard, dark times and how we respond to God in them. So I'm going to read Psalm 88. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are, you, are your wonderful deeds any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfeeling love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak to your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep pleading on pleading day and night. O oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. This, this last line. Darkness is my closest friend. In the Bible, and especially in the word, uh, in the book of Psalms, we, we come across um, prayers of people who are suffering. And there are prayers of people who go through darkness. And, but usually they end in a high note. Um, 
you know, they, they, they're, they're praying, they're suffering, but they say it near the end of their psalm of their prayer, I see you here in the midst of my trouble, God. Or I know your goodness in the land of the living. Or as we reminded of a few weeks ago in Psalm 23, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And David ends his psalm with this great hope. Surely your goodness and unfailing mer- or mercy, or we would say, uh, will pursue me all the days of my life and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. And we go, Yahoo. Out of 150 psalms in the Bible, we have, there are two psalms, Psalm 39 and this one, Psalm 88, that do not end on a high note. In Psalm 88, the words darkness or dark appear three times, including at the end what I read to you there, that line where the psalmist declares, darkness is my closest friend. And in the original language of, of, of the Hebrew language where this psalm was written in, the word darkness actually appears at the very end. It's the last word in the psalm. So a closer, more literal translation would be, my closest friend is darkness. And it's over. That's how the prayer ends. Now, what, what kind of prayer is that? What kind of prayer ends not in hope, but in darkness? And, and like, what is this prayer doing in the Bible? Well, it teaches us a number of lessons, and this morning, we're going to press into three of them. And the first one is this. Darkness for a believing and trusting Christian can last a good while. Darkness for a believing and trusting Christian can last for a good while. It will always last longer than you want it to. Our psalmist refers to God, however, at the beginning of this prayer, and we read it, he calls him, you are the God of my salvation. Like God, you are the one who saves me. So the writer begins with this testimony about God, about he, he is a tr- he's trusting God. God is his Savior. And he says to God, I cry out to you by day. I cry out to you at night. I'm going to cry out to you. I keep coming to you. I keep trusting you as my Savior. But he's in darkness. Now, there are two kinds of darkness. There's outer darkness. It uh, has more to do with the circumstances we find ourselves in. And to, in regards to our little guy here, by the way, his name is Heman. We see at the beginning of the, of the psalm. We don't know exactly what Heman is going through, what circumstances are in his life. But we kind of got a hint that, yeah, that it's not a great times. He says, my friends have left me. It seems like he's facing imminent death. We suspect this because uh, questions, he says to God, says, for my life is full of trouble and death draws near. He says, are your wonderful deeds any use to the dead? Did the dead rise up and praise you? It sounds like, you know, I'm going to be dead here in a moment. And what good is that? We're not certain what his problems are. But what we can do when we read a psalm like this one, and we read that a person is suffering, but we're not quite certain what they're suffering from, it's helpful when we connect their suffering to our own suffering. It's easier for the prayer to speak to you and help you when you connect their suffering to your suffering. Because the circumstances might be different, but the pain is the same. So the darkness we enter into will have and often has a lot to do with outer circumstances. 
That's outward darkness. But there's also inward darkness. And, and clearly this man in the psalm is, is going through this, this deep inner darkness. And, and, and you know, the thing is, if we, if we see outwardly that things are going bad in our life and not going well, but inwardly you have this, you, this peace of God, you know, God is here, he loves you, you're experiencing him, you feel like I can make it. Regardless of what's happening around me, I have this inward peace and this sense and this experience that God is here, God is with me, so I can get through this rough patch. But not, we're not finding this here. This, the, this man, he feels abandoned. He feels as if God is angry with him. He feels God has rejected him. He feels like God has left the building when it comes to his life. So this man is experiencing both outward darkness and inward darkness. And so he prays and he says, I trust you, God. You are my Savior. But by the end of the prayer, he's still in darkness. So it begs the question, what is the teaching here then? The teaching is that you can be a believing Christian. You can be trusting God for your salvation. You can be praying and doing all what you think is right as a believing Christian, and yet it doesn't get any better for you for a long time. Now, remember I told you we would be entering into the dark valley, and the first point of this message is rather dark. It's bleak. It is, it is a downer. But there is a kindliness here. There is a relief for us. Keller calls it a mercy. And you may be saying, well, I don't see the mercy. Where's the mercy? Well, what this psalm teaches us, and other places in the Bible certainly teaches us, it teaches us about the realism of the Bible. It speaks to the reality of life. It speaks to how life is actually experienced. The Bible doesn't ignore the fact that there's suffering. It doesn't gloss over the suffering we face in life. It faces it head on. It doesn't try to sugarcoat this truth that, that life sometimes is not fair and is difficult. I remember watching a movie back in the 1980s called The Princess Bride. Have any of you seen that movie? All I remember from The Princess Bride, for some reason, is some guy tumbling down a hill. Does that a scene? That's all I can think of. Um, and I must have found it funny because that's all I can be mindful of. But there was this one line in the movie that really connects and really resonate with. And the line goes like this. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. Do we have that slide next time? Yeah, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. That didn't come out there. On me. Most commercials and advertisements are trying to convince you that their product is going to eliminate suffering in your life. It's going to relieve the stress. It will change your life. But in reality, they're just trying to sell you something. Well, guess what? The Bible isn't trying to sell you something. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian or you're wondering whether I should have anything to do with Christianity, I want you to know Christianity is realistic. It's not selling you anything. It tells you you can do everything right. And you still have pretty long times where just the darkness doesn't lift. 
And there's a problem then when we face our suffering with these set of unrealistic expectations, which we, sound, which we say to ourselves or sounds like this. I figure now that I'm a Christian walking with God, nothing really bad could ever happen to me. You might have this expectation where you say that now that I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm kind of safe. Bad things can't happen to me. I'm a good person now. I've cleaned up areas of my life, and bad things really can't happen to me now. And if you come into Christianity with this kind of expectation, I, I need to point you to someone who is much better than you and I, who's certainly more godly than you and I, but who suffered much, much more than you and I. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. And Jesus did not live a life free from trials and suffering. So if there was anyone who should escape suffering and trials based on their, their holiness and their righteousness, it should be Jesus. And he, but he didn't. And Jesus doesn't try to paint a false, safe picture for Christians. He says in John 16, Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrow. He's talking to, to believers, his followers. Here on earth you will have Many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And I've been reminded lately where Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. He says, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you also. Your expectations play a big part in how you will handle, handle suffering in your life. Suffering in of itself is terrible and it's bad, and the suffering may not even be your fault, but if you come with these expectations and the idea that, well, now I'm following Jesus, I'm serving Jesus, so bad things really can't happen to me, even though they happen to Jesus, they won't happen to me, well, that's on you. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus doesn't teach that. And if your expectations instead align with the reality of life as the Bible gives it to us, and you know the Bible's not trying to sell you anything, that can help you greatly greatly facing troubles. Why? Because the pain, very often the pain you're experiencing is not so much from the actual trial you're going through, but comes out of these false expectations saying, God, where are you? Why am I suffering? I shouldn't be suffering. This isn't fair. And that's where the turmoil is. That's where the wrestling begins. Not the actual disappointment, but how we expect God that this shouldn't be happening to me. When you examine yourself and you believe you're seeking to do what is right, and nothing seems to be right happening in your life, you get down pretty quick. Why am I suffering when I'm trying to do right and good? But then remember Jesus, you know what, servant, that's us, is not greater than his master. And if you know people accuse Jesus falsely, if you face trouble for doing what is right, why do you expect, if this happened to Jesus, why do you expect this won't happen to you? Are you better than Jesus? No. So the mercy is this. I can be obedient to God and still suffer. It isn't, it isn't always me. I'm not, I, I'm not doing anything amiss. And if I am God, please uh, you know, point out to me. Pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Pray that. Because, Lord God, I want you to lead me upon the path of everlasting life, it says. 
So while this is the worst of the three points, we find this understanding, this relief, this mercy, that the Bible's not trying to sell me anything. It says it's real. And I need to deal with real. And the Bible says to Christians, you can be a Christian who prays to God, who seeks to do the right things, and you can still be in darkness for a long time. And the relief is, the mercy is not me. You may not be doing anything wrong. You may, in fact, it's because probably you're doing something right. You'll be persecuted and suffered. The second lesson we learn from Psalm 88 is this. The dark times are really the best place to learn about the grace of God. So let's look at some of the things a suffering man is not doing well in this prayer. And in some places, it doesn't sound so much like a prayer that he's offering up to God, but an interrogation. For example, he cried, look at verse 10 and 11. He says, are your wonderful deeds, are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? And these are sarcastic, rhetorical questions he puts to God. And what he's saying is like, God, what good is it to you if I die? We think he's facing imminent death. What good is it to you? Can the dead, the dead cannot benefit from your wonderful deeds like the living can? The dead can't praise you, but the living can. The dead cannot able, be able to testify to your unfailing love. The dead can't do that, but living people can. Dead people can't proclaim your faithfulness like those who are living. So what good is it? Why did I be dead? He's interrogating him. He's telling God, I want to be your witness to others. I want to tell the world about you. How am I ever going to do that if I'm dead? I want to do these things for you, and yet you're not letting me do them. How much sense does that make? And he almost comes to demanding, saying, demanding, God, answer me. Tell me. He isn't being respectful to God. He's not praying, thy will be done. Not only does he interrogate God, but he exaggerates to God. Verse 15, he says, I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. He's exaggerating. He says, all my life I've been close to death. All my life I've been stood helpless. All my life I've been desperate. All my life I've been terrified. It's not just now I feel abandoned by you, God. It's been my whole life. You've never been there for me, which is clearly an exaggeration. And there's a tendency for us to do that as well. Because in our anger and in our fears, in our despair, we make, we make these irrational, unreasonable claims because everything we do, we read through this moment of, of suffering. Everything we sense and do, we, we read it through this little, this, this window of suffering instead of standing back and going, saying, yeah, I don't like this dark time. It's tough, but I know God. I can see where you've been with me and for me and have helped me in the past. You've done great things in my life. And some Psalms do this, but not our guy. He's telling God, you've never been there for me. He's exaggerating, cross-examining God in a very disrespectful way. 
And of course, he makes that statement that we highlighted at the end. Darkness is my closest friend. What a charge that is to make to God. He's basically saying this to God. God, darkness is a closer friend to me than you are. Even darkness is, a, is more of a comfort. Even darkness cares for me more than you, God. That's my closest friend right now. So our suffering man is not doing some things well. And you have to ask the question, then why in the world is this prayer in the Bible? It's a good question. And I, and I think we discover part of that answer in, in one Bible commentator's name is um, Dennis Kender. And he writes this little commentary, and he, he provides some insight to probably why God allows this Psalm 88 and also Psalm 39, which is much the same. Why does he allow this almost disrespectful prayer in his Bible? And how in the world would it help us today in our own darkness? And Kendra said this, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. And perhaps we can give a commentary to the commentary here. What Kinder is saying to us, the very fact that God put these prayers in his word to us, because it's from him, he's in control. The fact that he put these prayers in his word for us tells us a lot about God. Like, God doesn't hear this prayer and say, I don't want that in my Bible. I don't want anybody to think that it's okay to pray to me like that. No, that's not going in. I don't want anybody to identify myself as a God as someone who prays like that. But God puts it in. And that means God is identifying with sometimes pray like that. He hears us. He allows us to come to him even when we get it wrong even when our expectations are misguided, even when we ridiculously exaggerate, he hears us. And the reason is, is because he's a God of grace. He understands. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. God is saying, I'm the God of this man, even though he's not getting it right, because I am a God of grace. And here's what God is saying to you through this psalm. I, I'm your God not because you woke up today and put a happy smile on. I'm not your God because you say everything right and do everything right. I'm not your God because I, I'm your God because I'm, I am I'm a, a God of grace. And that's so liberating and freeing. But I get it wrong sometimes. I exaggerate. My expectations are off. And I get angry and cry out. And God says, okay. I'm here. Because I'm a God of grace. I can tell you, I'm sure you would tell me this too. I've learned more about the grace of God in the dark times of my life than in those mountaintop moments of prosperity. And I've even heard people testify I'm looking back, I'm so glad for this suffering in my life because in that time of suffering, I learned so much about God and His grace and His comfort and His presence. I wouldn't have learned on the mountaintop. So darkness for believing and trusting Christian, number one, can last a good while. 
Number two, the dark times are really the best place to learn about the grace of God. And finally, the dark places are the best places where I discover my true motives towards God. What do we mean? Well, our fellow isn't doing things right. He's saying a lot of things he shouldn't be saying. He's disrespecting God. He's saying things he shouldn't say to God, but he's saying them to God. He's saying them to God. And that reminds me in the book of Job. Uh, there's Job, right? And, and, and the book starts with Satan coming to God. And, and God says, you know, have you seen my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete, of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. To which Satan responds this way, yes, but Job has good reason to fear you, God. You've always put a wall of protection around him, around his home, and around his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But if you reach out and take away everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. Give him the outer darkness. Give him the inner darkness, and he'll be gone. And what Satan is doing is he's questioning the idea, does Job really love you, God, and serve you, God, for who you are or for just what you do for him? He's basically saying Job, like he's in this transactional relationship with you, God. Job only respects you and follows you because you cause him to prosper. Job is faithful because you keep blessing him. Job isn't really loving you. He loves himself. But when you keep blessing, so that's why he, you know, he'll follow you because you keep blessing him, prospering him, protecting him. Of course, he'll stay with you. It's all transactional. You do this for me, God, and I'll do this for you. But if you take away the blessing, take away the protection, Give him that outer darkness. Give him that inner darkness. He will curse you. Job won't love you just for who you are. He loves himself. And he's using you to benefit himself. And once that's gone, he's gone. It's quite a charge for Satan to make. And it probably has happened to all of us at one time where someone has used us, saying they liked us, but they're trying to get to another person. Or they say they like us, but they know we can open the door for them. So it's really about them. It's not about us. And we feel used. So Satan actually brings up an important point, And it's still relevant to us, to us today. And it's this. The book of Job is here in the Bible for us to read today because the accusation Satan is making is not just for Job alone. Satan is saying this is true for all of us. Satan is saying, we will serve God as long as he protects us and prospers us. He's accusing you and I being in a transactional relationship with God, where we say, God, I will follow you, I will love you, I will serve you, as long as you do this for me and that for me, transactional. He's accusing us of being in a transactional relationship. So I wonder, church, is Satan right? Satan right about you and me. And I think in honest moments of transparency, we would say, yeah. Well, at least it started out that way because most of us have come to God, trusting him as our savior, wanting to follow him in the beginning because we had a problem or a need and we thought, God, you can fix this. 
So here I am. And it may have started out that way. But if it stays that way, where we keep running to Jesus, we're in trouble, or we have a need, our desire to seek and know God will be up and down because we're just seeking Him and wanting to know Him in times of trouble. Now, I did promise you I would be trying to tie this dark passage from Psalm 88 to this happy season of Thanksgiving. And, well, here it is. It's, it's, it's in a form of a question. My question is this, to me and to you, are, are you thankful to God foremost for who He is and not just for what He can give you? Are you being thankful? Are you thankful to God firstly because of who He is not just what he can do you do for you. <clears throat> I put my wife to the test this week. She doesn't know what I preach on. And um, she, she works in the school system, and she's contracted by a third party, and they're doing this like for four years, and she's trying to get in internal. And when the job's posted, internal people get to apply first, and if they want it, they get it, and she has to move on to another school. But if a job isn't taken eternally, then people like her who are external can apply. And she applied for this one job, and she did such a great job in the interview. She was so overqualified because she does these many things, and this job just wanted her to do this one thing, which she knew so well, but she didn't get the job. And we were so disappointed. We drowned our sorrows in Chinese food that night. And it's probably because whoever was hired knew somebody, and I get that. That happens, all, that happens to us and it happens to them, and you know, that's okay. But in the misery of really thinking we're going to get this, because it's just, it's, I mean, there's no reason why we can't. I turned to her and said, Honey, how do you feel about God? Without a blink, she said, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And our prayers time this morning, which is so good. One, we gave testimonies of why we're thankful to God. Not just for what He does for us, but to Him. And one person said, I'm thankful because He's unchangeable. Like circumstances change, right? They're, they, they say they can be over here, go over here. Circumstances are up and down, but God is unchangeable. Wow. Thank you for that. You know, we, we really love God's wisdom when things are going well in our life. God, you're so, you're so wise, but when we're in trouble, we question his wisdom. God doesn't, is not back and forth. He, he is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. So God is unchangeable. His wisdom is true. Even when things aren't going the way you think they should be, he doesn't change. And that's what we got to hold on to and trust him. And so can you love God today? Not just because he blesses you and protects you and gives you the job. But because first of all, he's God. And he's good. And he loves you regardless of where we find ourselves. What circumstances are. I would tell you, and I told you this before, I remember the first time reaching out to God. I was probably a boy about eight years old at a Christian camp. At night around the campfire, the speaker was speaking on hell. It scared me. I mean, it scared me. When he gave the altar call, I was down there. I was giving my life to Jesus, not because I really wanted to have this relationship with him, but I knew he could keep me out of hell, so I'm here. About six years later, when I was 14, I was in another, another Christian camp, 
And this time the speaker, I don't remember what he said. I remember who he was. I don't remember what he said, but it made me realize that God really loves me. He doesn't have to, and I'm certainly not worthy of it, but he loves me. And that, so after he spoke, I went to the camp bookshop, bought a Bible, went up to my room, and other people were playing, and I spent the whole rest of the afternoon reading my Bible. I actually was in the book of Job. I started reading. And so I said, God, I want to know you. I want, to, I want to serve you, not just for what you can do for me, but for who you are. And what a difference that makes in our life, especially in the dark times. My desire to know him was not based on my self-centered interest. It was, not, it was based first on who God is. I, I still don't want to go to hell. I don't have to praise the Lord because I'm believing and following Jesus, but I'm not wanting to use God just for this purpose. Sure, I'll pretend to like you as long as I don't have to go to hell. I want to know him. I want to honor him. So yes, there are times to cry out to God for help. There are times that we get angry, and Job got angry, but God honored Job because Job prayed to God. Even this man, Psalm 888, he's praying to God. He did not abandon God when trouble came. He got angry with God, but he still prayed to God. Job, he was complaining and being angry, but he's complaining and being angry to God. That's so much different than Job's wife. Remember what she said? She came to Job right near the beginning, second chapter. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Cursed God and died. Job wouldn't do it. Finally, 40 chapters later, Job does come to a place where he repented of his anger and he says to God, you asked, who is that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Job says, that was me. That's me, I'm sorry. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, he says. And Job says, God, I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. See, Job stayed with God through the very dark valleys. He stayed with God even when he wasn't getting anything out of it. I want you to hear that. Job stayed with God even when Job was not getting anything out of it. And as a result, Satan was defeated. Job was restored. Psalm 23, we hear David's testimony. He, he too had been wronged in his life and treated unfairly. And he too sinned greatly. But we know that Psalm 23 where David says, yes, but he restores my soul. He leads me through the darkest valleys. There are dark valleys. But God, you are with me, right? Your rod and, and staff comfort me. You lead me through them. So you cry out in the dark valleys. But God will not abandon you in them. He will lead you through the dark valleys. Why? Because you matter to him. He loves you. And yet you can offer him nothing. What do they call that? Unconditional love. He loves you even though you can't. You can know God is not engaging you because there's something you can give him. He just simply loves you and he cares for you. So I want to, and I hope that we want to, respond in the same way. And that even when times are dark and it's not lifting, we don't know why we don't abandon him. 
we keep crying out and praying and we're real and we're honest because the Bible is real and honest. But don't make your love for God conditional upon the circumstances in your life. Our psalmist says, darkness is my closest friend. And he's not right saying this, but he's saying it to God, which means Satan was defeated. When you go through that dark valley, when you're not understanding, God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this isn't lifting. You make this decision, but I'm going to still pray to you. I'm not getting anything out of this, but this is not a transactional relationship. I'm, well, I, I, I'm going to keep praying to you. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep worshiping you. My bar- darkness does not change the fact that I know that you are with me. My darkness does not change the fact that I know that you love me. And I won't let suffering change the fact that I love and I want to know you. I'm going to still worship you. Still call on your name. Still going to love my neighbor. Still going to, 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 to hear from you and do what is right. When you choose not to become one of those who are in a transactional relationship with God, who's up and down all the time, depending on the troubles, It's going to turn you into this person of endurance and perseverance and stability and strength. There's a song that that I like by Casting Crowns with this powerful testimony. It says this. Not easy words to say, but it's so true. And I will praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands, for you are who you are. You're unchangeable. No matter where I am, And every tear I've cried, you hold my hand, you never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. That's what we're talking about. And that's what we can be thankful for today. The God who's there, even in the storm, even in my tears. When you're in the darkness, you discover something about your motives You figure out if you are in this Christian faith to serve God or for God to serve you. Because in the darkness, you may not be getting the things you want from God. But God is in the darkness with you. You may not always see it, but he's leading you through. And there could even be wisdom that he wants you to learn in that dark place. I may not be thankful for what the dark valley is offering me, but I'd be thankful for the God who's there with me. When you say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to love you on the mountaintops and the valleys. I'm going to serve you both in the good days and the challenging days. It's going to change you. And Satan will be defeated. Manu read for us that Thanksgiving Psalm, Psalm 100 today. Maybe I just will close with that. It's another psalm. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge, this. I love this, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates. Go into his courts. Or enter his gates of thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Let's come here together 
thankful with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and His faithful continues to each generation. And I counted just quickly there. I think there's like 19 times in that short piece of Scripture it refers to God as Him, His, and He. That is the source. Our thankfulness, our identity, our hope is found in Him. It is He. It is His love, His faithfulness. And that doesn't change even in the dark times. God is there. He is faithful. He is loving. Would you stand and pray with me? And the worship team come forward. Let's pray and give thanks to God today. Because I know, Lord, in a room, even with this many people, that we can identify with Job. We can identify with this man in Psalm 88. We know the Bible is real, that there are dark valleys, that we can experience the outer darkness. But God, I pray as we look to you and, and believe in you and trust in you, we will not have to experience that inner darkness because you are with me. Your rod and st staff comfort me. You'll lead me. You'll lead me through this valley. And your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll live with you forever. And so for that, God, I'm grateful to you. No one else can offer me that, only you. And you want me to know it and have it. So I want to pray for those even today who feel like I'm in a dark valley. I can't understand why this is happening. Why isn't it being lifted up? God, remind them that you are there, that you care, that this is not going to be forever, maybe for a long time, but not forever. Help them learn your grace in the darkness. Help them to learn that they, how much they love you and, are, and are love you for who you are, not what you can do for them. So they may become a person of, of perseverance and endurance and strength. And let the devil be defeated. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.